Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Ross Barnett Show. This week, we've got a special episode for you, something we recorded a few weeks back with Bristol legend DJ Crust, straight out of full cycle, represent, and, you know, really, really someone who's iconic from our era and definitely one of the biggest names ever to come from our city. So check out this episode. We hope you enjoy it. Peace. Ishibe di Ross Barnett Show. J'adore le show de Ross Barnett. Mi piace il show di Ross Barnett. Mi encanta il show de Ross Barnett. I love the Ross Barnett Show. Yo, we're back in the building. Another episode of the Ross Barnett Show. Thanks to everybody who's uh, who's tuning in for this week's episode. Brian, what's your week been saying though, bro? Yeah, it's all right. It's been slow. I'm not feeling. You look the... stiff off in the chair, boy. Because I'm this thing. Just move this, back a This bit, chair man. is not made for a, uh, for someone like me. Do you know what I mean? It's made for a normal person. Obviously, yeah. not like yourself either. Yeah, but it's like a high chair to me. Yeah. <laughs> nah, that's cool. But, but yeah, just... your, week, your week been good? Yeah, it's been all right. Just apart from the traffic. Yeah. In Bristol, it's horrible. I've I've got to get up probably an hour earlier. Yeah. Just to get into work. 40 minutes early, so I'm not late. Yeah, joking. So, so obviously today, um, by the time this episode airs, I will find out whether I've had any tickets because I broke at least two red lights. Why are you saying um, that? On my way. Because I'm just keeping it real with the people, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? I don't think anybody listens to this who's got the ability to give me a ticket. It's either um, the authorities got it or they haven't. Do you know what I'm saying? One of my friends who's a police officer listens to this show. Yeah, they got better <laughs> things to do, like buy donuts and coffee. Anyway, um, without further ado, um, you know, in, in, in line with um, the last few series of shows, uh, you guys know that we're all about bringing you the interviews of, of the most iconic people from our city. Um, and this week is, is no exception. I feel like in the last few episodes, we've, we've used the word legend a lot. Um, There's nothing wrong with you. Can have more than one legend. Well, yeah, I know, but I don't even think legend is big enough for this guy. Like, what, what, what? You got any? You got any? Any titles to throw out there? Can't get. Can't get bigger, bigger than, than a legend. legend. Yeah. All right. So look, people. This week we'd like to welcome to the show an absolute legend from Bristol, one of the biggest icons to come out of this city. Let's welcome to the show DJ Crust. Yay! What are you saying, Crust? Thank you, man. That's great. Thanks for. Uh... Thanks for inviting me down, man, and then, um, you know, I uh, hope this session lives up to <laughs> Yeah, no pressure, no, no pressure. No, no, it's okay. It's <laughs> but okay. the interviews before have been kind of good, bro, so... Don't worry, man, it's, it's, we're going to have some There's fun. There's no pressure. I've, I've, no I've pressure. Um, got an exciting story to tell, so... Wicked, wicked, yeah. wicked, wicked. Well, um, I want to thank everybody who's helped to get this here today, so big up to um, Gary... My boy, my boy Gary Thompson um, definitely came through with, with helping us get this interview together um, and definitely a good friend of mine. So, um, yeah, moving on, man. So we have got like a, a host of questions um, and what we'll do, you know, real cool. We're just going to just go mm. through it and, and really mm. find out everything there is about you mm. um, so that for the fans and maybe people who don't know so much about you can find out everything about your story. Mm. Um, so firstly, I mean, the first question I wanted to ask really was what were your, your earliest musical influences? Um, sort of at home, being about like 10 years old, maybe even younger, eight, and like listening to my parents playing like Motown. Yeah, you know Dionne Warwick, Donna Summers, you know my mum singing around the kitchen, you yeah. know, and then, you know, after that it was like my brother, I got an older brother, um, he be he, he introduced us to sort of 
ska music. I remember when I was 10 years old, I was a mod. Okay, okay. You know, the first record I bought was Ghost Town by The Specials. Yeah, you know, yeah, I got yeah. my little three pounds. I went to Woolworths. Wicked. I got my, you know, I was a mod. Yeah. You know, definitely. You know, so um, after that, really, it was like kind of listening to a lot of electro, electronic music. So it was like Human League. Okay. Um, Depeche Mode. Yeah. Um, that type of thing. This is like, this is before electro came in, before hip hop. Yeah, you know, definitely the whole Funboy Free specials, madness. I was into that whole thing, you know. And when it started to change, I mean, for me, what happened was I got to fourteen, and me, and me and my brothers, we were all sat around in our house. There's about six of us. And my brother comes in. He's got this cassette, you know, the old VHS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he goes, watch this. He goes, watch this. He threw it at us, and we put it in the thing. Kachung. <laughs> Listen, we it was Wildstar. Okay, classic. Right, so we watched Wildstar. My life changed that day. Okay, I saw that film, and I remember we when it finished, we were all just sat around and we're like, you know, we have to do that. Yeah, we have to figure out how we can be a part of that movement. Yeah, and I remember it as clear as day. And I've had pivotal moments in my life, and that was the first one that I remember was like life-changing yeah I said that's what I'm gonna do I there wasn't even like a doubt in my mind yeah I know how I was gonna do it I just knew I was gonna do it and the day after we started our own crew fresh four <laughs> okay and we said to the guys who's in and who's out yeah because we're gonna do this a few guys said oh yeah, you know what we're gonna do this without you or whatever so we went back to the school and we said to the school can we get a room and they goes what for because we want to hold a disco yeah and they're like if it's a way to keep boys out of trouble, have the room. Wait. So that was our first business venture, right? Okay. We charged two pence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, we charged two pence. We put Lino on the floor and we held breakdancing competitions every Friday. Wow. We had okay. a brother's ghetto blaster. Yeah. And we were learning to breakdance. And a few other kids in there. And so we, we checked that. After that, we, when we left school, two years later we left school, we went to, actually maybe like the next year, we went to Eagle House Youth Club up in Norwest. Okay. They had a back room, yeah. we did the same thing. Went in there, said to them, can we have the back room? They said, what for? We want to do break dancing and DJing. And they're like, yes, keep boys out of trouble. Yeah. So we sprayed up the walls, put lino down, started, by now we, 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 we can do a little bit of scratchy scratch, not very good, but we had some little wind up decks so we could like practice. We started inviting other crews, Hartcliff, Bedminster, you know, it was a little thing coming up, you know, not many people knew about a couple of people were breakdancing, yes. a couple of other guys were learning how to scratch as well. Yeah. And then we had the model down now, we've done it twice. Right, we get to about six, six, seventeen now. We meet some guys who've got a squat in Bemster. Okay. They got this old scout hut that's disused. We're like, going out. <laughs> Can we have your scout hut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What for? We want to do break dancing and DJ. But they go, yeah, keep boys out of trouble. So by the time we got to about nineteen, now we had a model down. We knew it worked. Yeah. We could go into a space, put the lino down, spray paint the walls. But by now. We had a little name, a little reputation. Okay. Over in Knoll, there was no one doing what we were doing. Yeah. We used to come over to here, to St. Paul's and Montpellier, to go and see, to see the crews, see Wild Bunch. 
we were rolling with Tricky. Tricky's cousin was Willie Wee. Yeah. So we used to get into the Wild Bunch parties for free <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah, of the, the connection. Yeah. Yeah. So we were we were seeing what these guys were doing. Like we used to stand on the decks. We used to stand and watch um, Miles and Nelly cut up, just stand there for hours, just watching, not even dancing, just watching the fingers, watching the techniques, just scanning, learning. So we, we, when we done that, we go home and we practice ourselves. So we came quite proficient. Yeah. So by the time we started doing the Scout Hurt, we had a name. We The people from that side of Bristol then used to come to our side of Bristol. So boom now, a couple of years into it, we started holding parties. We Grant come and played at our party. I met Ronnie Size because of his brother's sound system. Right. We hired his sound system to do the scout hut. That's one of the first times I met him. Right. Too bad we used to get down there. So we, over a period of about six to eight months, we had all of the DJs. That was any of the DJs. Too bad to UD4 to playing in in this scout hut over in in the wrong part of town. Yeah, yeah. Right. So we we confirmed you know our status as this crew. You know, people knew we were serious. We we learned to cut and scratch, and you know we were a firm. We were a proper crew. And then my brother had an opportunity. He had this idea. He was like. In back in the day, what you would do, you'd have two, you'd have an acapella and you'd have a, a breakbeat. So the breakbeat's the part of the record where it's just the drums. Yeah. So we would cut those two bits up. So what he, what my brother was doing, he would play this acapella and then cut up this drum beat yeah. over it. And so he was like, I'm gonna make this track with this vocal and this beat. And we're like, word, you're gonna do what? You know, because you've got to check the evolution, the whole thing, right? When you start out, you're just this DJ and you start playing other people's records. Yeah. You eventually move on to getting obscure tunes that no one else has got. So you learn now to black out your records. That's the thing, right? Because <laughs> being be about, let me backtrack a minute. When you're a b-boy now, yeah, it's about being fresh. It's about being dope, right? You've got to have skills. Like the whole thing about the music business now, it, the, the ethics of it's totally changed. When we came through the game, like I was speaking to my brother about this the other day, when we came through the game, right, it was a price of entry was Technic 1200s. You couldn't afford them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that already killed the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There wasn't many people that could even afford them so that you couldn't even touch them to practice on them. Yeah. Right? They, one of them was 600 quid. Back, they were talking 25, 30 years ago. That's a lot of money. That's yeah. like three grand today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You couldn't afford it. So already, the, the whole thing is separated. Never mind the skills. If you, don't, if you can't practice on 1200s, come the gig night, you don't know how to, how to work the whole thing and the yeah. mix and the whole thing. So it's already leveled off. So we managed somehow, we managed to get ourselves some 12s. So we're on this whole, that's where we are now. We're competing with the rest of the man's them because now we're on that level. Yeah. So everyone else is just looking. So that's first, the first barrier to entrance. Then you've got to know the tunes. Yeah. But you don't know because they're blacked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you go to the dancing and trying to see, you can't see. So now you've got to go digging in the crates. Right, okay. So this is what the whole thing is about. Being a b-boy is about doing the work. It's about work ethics, principles, right? Principles, that's almost lost today. And I'm not dissing music colleges, but what they're teaching is not what we were taught. Yeah. And what I say when I was, what we were taught, we were taught by the, the people before us. 
So they showed us the skills, they showed us the ethics, and you understood the skills and the ethics by, by, by participating in it. Yeah. It wasn't someone you sat in a room and someone said, this is how you make a beat. Someone get, you had to go out there and figure it out yourself yeah, and yeah, then yeah. come up with your own style and then figure out how you was gonna tie your laces. Yeah. And if you got to the, to the party and someone had your trainers on, you went home and got your other ones on. Yeah, it was yeah. that deep. Yeah. That's how man's was going on. And I, we still go on to that today. Yeah. When you're a b-boy, it's not something you just drop. It's the, it's the psychology. It's the, it's the way you approach it. And so we've taken that right through to jungle. I'm just skipping it, but yeah. that's how deep this whole thing goes. So when I'm, when, what we did then, right, how do you create you know, the, your USB, right? So you, you got turntables, same as that man's them. You got a couple of beats. There's some beats that you've got, and you've got to play the ones, you've got to play the classics, yeah. but then you've got to play a couple of obscure ones just to let everybody know that you got it as well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's how you get your name. So now the next stage on from that is you've got to make your own tune now. Okay. So this is how it's building up now, right? You got your fresh crew, you got your name, you got your dope skills, you got your b-boys, you got your signature raps, right? You got your signature clothes, the crew, you got your beats. Now it's like this is what separates the boys from the men. Can you make a tune? Yeah. So that's what my brother said. He's like, right, we need to make a tune. He had this idea, I'm gonna make a tune. And we're like, you know, I never, you know, I didn't know no one who made a tune. Yeah. You know, we heard about Smith for Mighty. Right? And a massive Wild Bunch then, they just made this tune with Smith and Mighty, anyone, Grant made it, and then they did the Look of Love as well, so he's like, we're just hearing about it, and we're like, right, he's like, I'm gonna make this tune, I'm like, word? Right. So, and, and at the same time, we started a, a cycle courier business. Okay. Yeah, we were the first people in Bristol to do a cycle courier business. Wow. So, so this is the whole thing about what we were about, we came from up in Knoll, so we were called Hilltop, right? Yeah. We were just out of, as far out as, the ends. Yeah, as far as the man's in the ends is concerned, we're out of the game. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. we know, right, we got something to prove, but not necessarily something to prove, but we just got the b-boy ethics says be fresh and be dope. Yeah. So we're like, right, we're going to start business. And people's like, what? Yeah, we, so we went to business school up in Colston Street for a year. We studied the whole thing about business. I'm like, right. We went, we borrowed money from the black business at the time. Prince of Trust gave us some money. We bought cycle, cycles, the whole thing. Started having a business on the Sto corner of Stokescroft, right? Okay. <laughs> and the little office, and we were in there 24 seven. We were cycle courier company, but we were like DJing in the evening as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we're just covering our ends, right? We know we got to have a, a, the, the, the thing covered, but really our passion is this thing. So in the daytime, we're just playing beats in the office, waiting for the phone to ring, listening to beats, trying to plan what we're doing, right? And my brother's like, yeah, I'm gonna make this thing. So every day, or every, once a week, he's going to Smith & Mighty studio, yeah. learning how to da 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 da, coming back to, the, to uh, the office with a cassette with this fat track on it. It's like, and you can hear it developing. Yeah. So boom, fast forward now, that track was called Wishing on a Star. Yeah, 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 yeah. That got signed to a major label. Mm -hmm. We're 19 years old. All of a sudden, we're thrown into the to the deep end. So yeah, that, I wanted to ask you about that. Like, what was that like, like to break through? Because I was was it 89, like late 80s, 89, yeah, yeah? Late 80, 89. Yeah. And, and you've you've broke through. So wishing on a star as, as bus, so it's to bus, speak. Yeah? yeah. How did it feel like 
how did you kind of get notified that this tune has actually got national recognition? First, because what first of all what happened? I mean, G reminded me of the story, so I didn't remember. But what happened was the the manager at the time, Erskine Thompson. Yeah. To get the deal, because when they made the track, it was like you knew it was something. You didn't know it was going to be as big as it was, but you just knew it was just different. It was fresh. Mm. So this manager, Erskine Thompson, who was Maxi Priest's manager and Lou Sen's manager at, the, at that time. Okay. He phones up Virgin Records, puts the record on, plays it, says, if you want this, call me back. Puts the phone down. <laughs> Cold. Cold. Well, hey, that's, Cold. How, that's, how, that's how it went down, right? Yeah. So I think it was Mick Clark then, calls him back, duh, 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 makes the deal. The track got released one week, it was at 40. The next week it was at 30. The next week it was at 20, right? The next week it was at 10. The obvious next step that it was gonna go was to number one, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Something happened, right? I'm not sure what it was, I'm not saying, I'm not saying the C word, right? Yeah. But something happened, right? And it didn't go. It didn't do the natural thing. Conspiracy. Right? It just didn't it just didn't do the natural thing because it was obvious. And the thing about it was, what we got to find out is that if you if the industry don't support you, mm. they don't like it. And what happened with that record is the people demanded it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a street track. It didn't have any hardly any radio support and any hardly any TV support, but yet it did these amazing jumps week after week. And it's because the people the people were like, this tune's different, this tune's fresh. Yeah. So for us, it was like, it was totally mind blowing. You know, yeah. we were 19 years old. We, we were in London for six to eight months. It was, you know, and they threw us in the shoe, said, right, you gotta make an album. And it was just, too, it was too much. Right. You know, we were these young guys from Knoll, Knoll West. We really didn't know anything about the business. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know anything about making records. We didn't know anything about, you know, being in the studio, it was just too much for us. And the whole thing fell apart. But one of the things, there's lots of good experiences about it, but one of the things for me was that I was in, I got a chance to go into this record, proper recording studio. Yeah. Here's pivotal moment two in my life. Yeah. I'm sat in this room and all these lights are flashing and I'm like, this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. Right. I just knew, same feeling again, yeah. when I was 14 years old, I just knew it. I said, this is what, I said to myself, this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that experience ended, but my brother, my older brother, again, come through, he had the sampler. Yeah. And he was like, I said, teach me how to use a sampler. So for three years, I, I slept in, his, in the back room yeah. of his house on the floor and hassled him every day, and I got him to show me how to use a sampler. What, what sampler was it? It was a, it's a, a Casio FZ1. Right. So it was an old school, 14 seconds, like seven bit, Yeah. But I worked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, wicked, I, wicked, I, wicked. I worked it inside out. And, you know, that's how I got to pass that entry point, because there was only, three people, two people that knew how to operate a studio then. Okay. Not very many people. So if the if the price of entry was 600 pounds for, for to be a DJ, yeah. think what it was to be- To record a track. To record a track and to get a studio. There were probably about four or five people that had a studio in Bristol, but there was only one crew that actually knew how to use the equipment. Yeah. 
and you had to know them. Yeah. So that was the mission. Okay. Okay. I I tell you um one thing that I wanted to definitely salute as well. What I liked about that wishing on a Star Trek, that was the first time, probably in history, right? That a rapper spat bars with a Bristolian accent. <laughs> That's got to be the first time, right? That has got to be the first time. Because even to today, even the rappers who are, are, are not necessarily rapping with an American accent are still nobody I don't think I've heard as Bristolian as the bars on that track. Mm. So it's definitely a big salute for that. Mm. Definitely, definitely. What do you reckon, boy? Uh, it's... It's it's di- it's different. I I like hearing uh, rappers or even singers with like a Bristolian tone because it, obviously they're representing Bristol. Um, all the other rappers, like you said, I'm not really a fan of rap throwing, as you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it just it, they all sound the same. Yeah. But the Bristolian twang, it's nothing better. Yeah, you like that, innit? Nothing better. <laughs> 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 all right. So so okay. So you you you've you've kind of you've broken through. You've had that experience, like you said. You've you've had your first opportunity to go into a studio, mm. see the probably the big boy mixing desk mm. and and all of this technology. Mm. Um, how did you make the transition then from you know like what 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 genre was that? Was it was it trip hop, hip hop? What, what what would you describe that sound as? Yeah, I mean at the time they were calling it trip hop. Yeah. But also, there was a, there was they were they were calling it the Bristol sound as well. Yeah. So it was this trip hop hip hop thing, but it was very much its emerging Bristol sound, which was you know slow down break beats with dirty beat reggae sort of B lines. So yeah. it, it was you know, and it had the Smith and Mighty signature kind of on on that sound. Right. Okay. So. Talk to us about the transition then from from that to drum and bass. You know, where was your introduction? So when when this was going on, I mean, we're making music. So after the whole Fresh Four thing, everyone kind of went their own way. I went and studied in my brother's back room. Then I kind of transitioned to hang out with Smith and Mighty. So I, I plucked up enough courage one day and just knocked on the door and just said, look, you know, I just need to I just need to learn, do you know what I mean? What you guys saying and Rob Rob and Ray were like seeing this like, you know, eager, you know, nineteen year old, twenty year old kid. Yeah. They said, you know what? Yeah, just come in. So I was like the guy in the corner for years, just standing there like this that was my apprenticeship, you know. And then after a little while they gave us the back room. So I was hanging out with Dying Sub. Yeah. Okay. So we all were learning at the same time. So Di was working with Sublove, Jody Wustonoff over in Bemister. So me and Sub were kind of learning. Robin Ray had a back room in on, on Ashley Road, and they they put a little Atari in there and the same episode sampler. So we would go in there yeah. and just sit in there and just press buttons, learn, just just trying to make beats. So for me, I was trying to make hip hop. Yeah. So that was my thing. I loved hip hop. But the music I was making <laughs> didn't sound like hip hop, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was rave started to happen, so we were started to go to these free parties okay. every weekend. Yeah, Robin Ray used to drive out me and Di Sub. We used to jump in the car, you know, make sure you're here by seven or we'll leave you. Like, make sure we were there. Do you know what I mean? A little bag of goodies and then f- and jump on the thing with them and go missing till Monday morning. Yeah, and we'd be in these raves 
you know, I'd be hearing all this music, boom, boom, boom. Oh, yeah, it was all right. I didn't mind that. I like the community thing. Yeah. The just everybody, the mix. It was a very mixed cultural thing. Yeah. Kind of reminded me of St. Paul's Carnival. So I liked that. But every now and again, you'd hear a, this this tune come in with these rapid drum breaks, and it and it was hip hop beats sped up. Yeah. And I'd be like, and it got my attention. I'd yeah. be like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And you know, me and I run up to the decks, and you know, Robin Ray be there, be like, "What's this? What's this?" Because it's a frequency that just cut through everything, you know. And the boom boom was alright, but when they dropped that beat by itself, and I get to find out it was the classic Amen break now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this break was rattling through the speaker. It'd be like, "What are you doing? You stop and try and run up and see what Chuck was." Easy Groove was playing a lot of these things. Okay. He started playing this thing that everyone started calling jungle techno. So it was these beats, these rapid hip hop beats, but with the flat beat on it. Yeah. So when Easy Groove came on, he would play some of the flat beat, but he started to play more of that. So it became this thing, you know. And then after a while, we started to hear more. We heard about this guy called Doc Scott. He'd be playing these beats. We went to see him at this one rave and he was playing and he played at least, you know, 10 of these tunes in a row. And it's like, right, there's something going on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So now we're like, we're coming back and experimenting now. Because remember, we're scratch DJs. We got tons of breaks. Yeah. We, our record collection is luge. Yeah. We got rock breaks, jazz breaks, pop breaks, every kind of breaks. Because back then... When you were a scratch DJ, you didn't know where the breaks were. Yeah. We used to spend hours in second-hand shops on Gloucester Road, just sifting through, looking for the right cover, and just listening all day for, for, for a record that had the break in it. So when Ultimate Breakbeats came out, that did the work for us. Yeah. But not many people knew about that. And then you had super disco breaks. But they were just breaks. And then a few other people started to do the thing. So we just, what we did, when we started to actually make the tracks, we went out and bought, because we were scratch all the records we had, we scratched, so. <laughs> yeah. So we went out, had to buy, we bought all the records again. Yeah. And sampled them fresh. So we had all these beats. So we were building up this archive, this library. And what we were learning was how to, how to make the beats work with each other. So you're, you're putting two or three beats together to try and get this energy. Yeah. Um, you know, we were doing with the flat beat as well. You know, we were just sort of copying what was what we were hearing. And then I remember one day, me, Sab and Dai, we're, we're in the studio and it's about, you know, it's about six o'clock in the morning. We've been in there all night and we were making this tune and it had this flat beat in it. And we kind of looked at each other and we were like, what's it going to be like without that flat beat? And we're like, I don't know. Press the mute button. Jungle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And then we're like, okay. And that, for us, that was when our journey kind of started. And then we started to hear more tunes like that. And then yeah. we gradually, this whole, we've, we get to find, Sub was from Oxford, well, he's originally from Bristol, but he lived in Oxford. Oxford he yeah. knew some people, uh, Q Project guys, Smithy and um, Gwange. They were doing the same thing. And we, I remember the first time we went and sit down with those guys and we started chatting and it was like a relief. 
it was like we met some like-minded people that yeah. were making this music and we didn't feel like we were alone anymore. Yeah, we're yeah. Like, what were you calling it? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> what do you call it? Oh, I don't know. No one had a name for it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But they played us some tunes. We played them. We swapped tunes. You know, we swapped ideas about what we were doing. And we there was that was the first sort of community. Then we went, I remember we went to um, uh, a loot, Raven Luton. Yeah. This is guy, LTJ Bookham, you got here and play. It's like, who's that? Bookham, man. <laughs> we, so we were there and he's like, this guy comes on Bookham, he plays a whole set of this stuff. We're like, my God. Yeah. This is it. What, you, what, what kind, sorry, what kind of year was that, bro? This is like, like 92, 93. Right, okay. Early. Okay. Yeah, early. Early, early, early. There's not, you know, we, we're coming back, you know, full cycle now. So, so we're 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 in, in Robin Ray's back studio one eve, one afternoon. Sub comes in. He's like, Yeah, I just met this guy, Ronnie, Ryan, you know, Ryan Williams. Like, oh yeah, I know Ryan. He's like, Yeah, he's he's like he's like he wants to do this like record label thing. And we would yeah, that's what we want to do as well. We want to do this record label thing. He's like, well, we should all meet then. Yeah, 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 we should all meet, innit? <laughs> and it sounds all funny, like, but it, this is like it's, that's how it was. Like yeah, yeah. and we were like, right. So set up a meet around my house tomorrow afternoon. So we all congregated in I used to have a flat on, on Ashley Road. So we all congregate right there and we're like we all come in and we're all sitting down like looking at each other like no one's saying nothing, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> like what's going on? And we're like, yeah, yeah, we start talking about music and beats and Ronnie starts playing some of his listen, he doesn't know what we're doing. And we he, and we don't know what he's doing, but he plays some tunes and he's making exactly the same music as us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His is like got more like reggae B B line on it. Sub's kind of got the reggae. I'm more of the hip hop, and Dai's more of like the the folky kind of thing. But it was the same thing. It was all at one seventy. Yeah. And like, rah! It was just natural. Yeah. We were all dreads. Yeah. Except for Dai, Dai, Dai had a few dreads. <laughs> and it was like, it was just normal. It was like. Right, let's link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's link in it. So that was it. That day we were like, yeah, let's do this thing full cycle. Right. We didn't have a name then, but let's just do this thing. Yeah. But actually, before then we were like, right, let's just let's just be this crew. We're like, yeah, yeah, let's join forces. So we started making tunes together. We start sending out all these tunes now to to enough labels. Yeah. People sending the stuff back. Nah, what's this you're doing? Make tunes that sound like so and so. Change your name to so and so. Some sounds better, and we're like, "Where's these fucking people? Yeah. They don't know what's going on." You know, big people as well. You know, they don't know what's going on. They don't see what we're seeing. Just like now, when I, I buck up a couple of grime kids in the day, they're like playing me some stuff. I'm like, I don't know what this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's the same thing. They know. They got the finger on the pulse. Yeah. Same thing with us. We knew. We've been driving around the country for two years. We can see it coming a mile away. Yeah. The people who were really established, who were entrenched in it, they can't see it. They yeah. want to hold on to what they got. Yeah. We're like, nah, we know what's happening here. We got rejected from everybody. Everyone rejected us. Wow. Demoralized, one afternoon we just sat there and we're like, boy, you know what? Fuck them all. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we'll just do it ourselves. How are we gonna do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
we just didn't know any, we didn't know. We just went to see Rob and Ray, but we want to do this record thing ourselves. You know, they had a little bit of experience. And then they just said, well, you got to do, you got to press up a record. You got to get 500 quid and you got to press up a record. Yeah. And we're like, all right, that's what we'll do. Just as we're doing that, Ronnie sends us cassette out to this, to one of his mates. One of his mates gets back to us about three or four months later saying, these guys in London, they like what you're doing. They want to come and meet you. He's like, who's that? You ever heard of Brian G and Jumping Jack Frost? Wow. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're like, no way. Like, we used to go and see Frost yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah. Like, no way, what? He goes, yeah, they're starting this new label called V. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's meet, let's meet. So yeah. we, we get the number for Brian. And we call him, everyone's on the phone. <laughs> we want to hear what's going on. And then boom, a couple of weeks later, they come down. They come through the door, being dreads. Us dreads. Yeah. It, was like the, it was like the Blues Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sign from God. <laughs> and again, they were on that side of the room. Yeah. We were on this side of the room and no one's saying nothing. We're just looking at each other like, this feels good. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. feels natural. This is going to happen. Everyone's excited, do you know what I mean? Then we start talking, they tell us about their plans for the label. By then, we're working shifts, 24 hours a day, four of us in one studio, we're relentless. We got so much tunes. We're like, two of us is working in the day, two of us is working in the night. It's like a factory, we're in Wilder, Wilder Street, I'm running a studio in the back room. Yeah. It's like a factory. You know, we're, we're learning our craft and we're just making tune after tune after tune, perfecting our skills, learning about breaks, reading books, you know, studying it, studying breaks. Like, how do we make the beat sound better? Yeah. How do we make it sound more like this, more like that? And we're experimenting, we're finding new techniques. We buy our first sampler, we hustle. You know, if we put all our money together, we buy our first proper, you know, sampler that can sample and make our music sound better. Do you know what I mean? And we're like, yeah, you know. We got a little crew thing going now. We got these beats, and we're hungry now. Yeah. Right. So by the time we meet Brian, we've got we've got two different sounds. We've got a sound that sounds like V, and we got a sound that sounds like Full Cycle. Right. So it was natural. It was like yeah, we gave Brian's like yeah that oh, I like that I like, and so we get to fee, figure out like that's obvious for Full Cycle sound, and that's obvious V sound. Right. So now we're in the studio, knowing what we're doing. You know, we're not specifically making a V tune or, or full cycle tune, but we're making music. Yeah. And when it comes out, it's like, yeah, that's, that's a V. So send that. we're sending everything to Brian, but there's certain things that you just know, that's definitely a V. Yeah. That's definitely a full cycle. So that's, that, was, that was the game, that was the hustle. And we just did that relentlessly. You know, we were relentless for like, at least like seven years, just relentless. Yeah. No girlfriends, nothing. Just in this room, making beats, no one's seen us. We're just relentless, relentless. And then we start doing our own nights. Yeah. Start inviting the other, all these other crews now. So just to back up a bit, we hear about, there's this club in Coventry called The Edge. Okay. It's like this legendary club. Yeah. And Ratty is playing there, Neil Tricks is playing there. And it's like, this is like this thing where people are saying, this is sounds coming out of this club. Yeah. We're like, rah. And we hear about this one night, Jungle Fever. <laughs> we're 
were like, we gotta go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frost is playing there. Like, Frost, can you, he's getting us in on the guest list, so we go. That night, John Gore was born. Like, uh, that was the official, for me anyway, and for a lot of people, it was the whole night you saw it. Yeah. The, the, the fantastic five MCs, Navigator Moose, um, MC Debt. It was like, it was official. You saw it, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Five O. You know what I mean? Navi. You know, it was like this, you, you, the music, Ron and SL, Groove Rider, Fabulous. It was like, you could, it was, it was, it was set. You could see, okay, this is a scene. Yeah. Everybody in their moschino, their, the, all the gallant, <laughs> yeah, doing, yeah, the, yeah. doing the carpet sweeper. <laughs> you know, it was like, you've seen the whole formation. There was a dance. There was a look. There was a talk. Yeah. You know, there was an attitude there. Do you know what I mean? It was like this scene. It was like, it was like, it was like walking into uh, something off of a film scene. Yeah. You know, you, one minute you're driving on the road with normal people and then you go through these doors and you're in this other world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, we're a part of this. Yeah. You know, we were at the forefront of this whole movement. We were making the soundtrack to it. Yeah. You know, we, we felt like, you know, this was our thing. This is our movement, you know, and just like when we saw Wildstyle, we recognized that these people were disenfranchised. These people were left out to, to, to figure it out by themselves. The society didn't give a fuck about them. Society was like, we, we know you're not going to make it. Yeah. But when I watched Wildstyle, I, I saw something in these people which was which stayed with me today, which I saw in China as well. But it's just raw creativity, imagination, yeah. relentless. They weren't. They 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 had ideas that weren't mainstream, that weren't about the status quo, and that's why they were left. Because if they joined the mainstream, yeah. there wouldn't be what it is today. And that's what the, the establishment doesn't want. They want us to. Conform, us, conform. Yeah, they want us to conform. They want us to have this same stereotypical idea. What I saw in Wildstar was like, was this, was this fearless abandonment of the system of convention, of rules, of, of a singular ideology that didn't represent us. Yeah. And what I saw on, on this video, I saw people like, like me. And that's what, it's, that's what spurred me on. And I saw that and I thought, those guys ain't, ain't got anything I haven't got. And that's been my journey. Every time I get stuck, I remember that. I said, you know what? Those guys had less than what you got now. Yeah. You know, and I, I, um, I've been doing talks now for the last sort of 10 years. We've got technology in our pocket. It's ridiculous. We don't have any issues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't have any issues. We can't be stuck. You can't have a technical problem. It's an ideas problem. So when I... When when I when 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 we when we were doing all of that, that was the motivation. It's creativity and imagination. You know, it's about how do you be so so stupid dope that it's you don't need to say anything. So the argument is on the vinyl. Yeah, it's obvious. I'm just going to play this track. <laughs> that's it. I'm not going to say anything. I don't need. To, you know, that's what b boys become now. Yeah. And so when I when we started to get into it, that was hot, that was full cycles backstory. We're b boys. 
that's that's what we bring to the game. That's that's our Bristol ethics. We're b boys. We're just we're just we have a stupid work ethic. We're just gonna outwork everybody. Yeah. And so we'd be in the studio four or five o'clock in the morning thinking, Andy C still up, <laughs> Dillinger's still up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the motivation. No Make, one's gonna outwork us. No one's gonna outwork us. Make some more tunes. You're not allowed to be tired, bruv. <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed to sleep right now. We've got to finish this tune because we got a, we got a gig on the weekend. We got to go and play. We got to go and represent. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. we're hungry. You know, that's still the work ethic today. It's like we're hungry. We still got something to some not to prove so much. And I'll explain a little bit more about how the 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 the, the vision has changed because now it's about economics, right? Right. Business. Yeah. Right. We're not, we're not, we're not starting out anymore. We're not, we're not, we're not pioneering a music scene anymore. Now we want to own it. Yeah. Okay. So we need to understand business and economics now. So that's the drive, and I'll, I'll circle back around again. But back then, you've, we had to, we had to be at the forefront of it. We had to be the pioneers of it. We had to be leaders, and we're not saying it, but we know this is important. You know what I'm saying? We know there's people coming up behind us. Yeah. Just like we were following Massive. We were following Smith & Mighty. We were following tradition. We, had, we knew we had, there was a, leg, a Bristol legacy there. And we just, wanted to, we just wanted to be a part of the story. We yeah. wanted to do our thing. And we could do it. We could put on a great party and get people to come in and be a part of the, the history of what we were doing. Drum and Bass Jungle then was brand new. It was, we, it was our version of hip-hop. We wanted to contribute to the history of music on, in planet Earth. You know, we knew we, we could do something that represented Bristol. We just didn't know how big it was going to be. Yeah. And so that was our excitement. And then, you know, we started to get phone calls from, from all over the world. People listening to our tunes, oh, can you come and... And then it started to grow and be what it is today. But back then, you just knew you had to be a part of that movement at that time. Okay, okay. Okay, so moving on. So we're, 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 we're mid-90s. <laughs> I'm going gonna, gonna to cut this anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so, so, so mid-90s. Or um, another cup of coffee or something. <laughs> <laughs> the, sound, the sound has emerged. The movement is, is started, okay? Um, and then talk us, and you've mentioned like names like Die and Sov, <clears throat> and obviously how you first became acquainted with Ronnie. Um, but how did Represent become a collective? How did that collective come together? Um, we we started to do the radio, Galaxy Radio. Okay. Um, and before that, it was Emergency. So we do you know once a month on Emergency, and we're playing all this new stuff. It's like you you, you got to imagine it's, it's hip hop, here's house. And then there's jungle. It's like 170 BPMs. It's MC. Just totally different. Do you know what I mean? It, but it, I got to admit, back then, the, the people from radio stations and promoters, they were forward thinkers. They could see the potential in it. You know, big up Tristan B. Yeah. He heard us, and he said, "You guys." Come on, Galaxy. Yeah. You know, he, he saw the thing of what we were doing. And we were like, yeah, let's do that. Do you know what I mean? For us, it was like, we'll reach more people. Yeah. You know, so the mission then became, we need to make tunes for the radio. 
Okay. Not just for the weekend, but to make tunes for the radio. Because remember, B-Boys, you got to be fresh. You can't come into the show the next month and play the same things you played last month. That ain't B-Boy, right? Nah, Dred. So we're hustling again. We're in the grind again. We're the relentless thing. We get some. We get. Uh, we get a, a a call from from someone in London, saying, "Oh, you know, uh, let me backtrack a little bit." So by then, when we're just on the, on the radio, we're doing re people are asking us to do remixes now. Okay. So we're remixing other jungle artists. And then we start getting asked to, to remix like pop tunes and house tunes. So now we're going from these jungle producers to these remixers. <coughs> so we were the first jungle, produ jungle DJ producers. There wasn't anybody. Before you either made music and that was it, or you played music and that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were the first to do both. Right. And the reason why that was so important is because to get the unfair advantage again, we would go into a club and play a whole full cycle set and nobody else had our tunes. Right. We were cutting plates. Yeah. So we killed it. And everyone wanted the tunes. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. only uh, us uh, and Brian uh, Ginger uh, and Jack Frost who had the tunes. Yeah. So it was all oh, the tunes. No. That was our thing. That was the only way we could bully our way into the scene. Yeah. By, by cornering the market. So we just created the sound and that became the full cycle sound. If you wanted to hear the full cycle sound, you had to come to one of our dances. You had to listen to the radio. You had to book us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we didn't know what we were doing then, but you know, that's your USP, right? Yeah. That's, you know, your, your unfair advantage, your, your, your marketing XYZ, right? So. We, we just held it down. We knew for us to get to here in the game, and we weren't, at, the moment, at that time, we weren't that strategic. We just knew that we were, we needed to get, for, we, we just knew that we needed to just move to, we need to be more in London. So okay. we, we, played, we, played our, we played the Galaxy show, that got us national recognition. Then we got invited to do One in the Jungle. So One in the Jungle then was, was uh, a Wilbur Wilberforce from BBC Radio. Right. He had this idea that he wanted to do a jungle show. So we were guests on that. So now we're like in this national position on Radio One playing this new form of music that's kind of brand new and now it's starting to get recognized. So now we're being heard globally yeah. by Radio One. So now we're people around the world, they're hearing this sound and they're like, yeah, well, we want you guys to do a remix. So now we're getting major record labels asking us to do these remixes of these tunes. And we're like, yeah, okay, cool. So now we're into this. So no, not many people, uh, you've got to remember, there's only a few people still now who can actually make, make the tunes not many of the DJs. So a lot of the big DJs, they weren't making the tunes. They were just spinning records. They were just spinning records. Okay. So now they have to go and ask the people who are making the records for the tunes. So some of the big guys, they had to get gas faced because we couldn't get in. Because <laughs> we couldn't get in. So it's a strategy, right? We got to be on that bill, right? We got to be on that bill. So Frost is on the bill, Brian G's on the bill, slowly but surely, 
we're starting to come in. Slowly but surely, we're starting to remix these big tunes by certain artists and we're starting to now be recognized not as these producers but now as these remixers who are producers right so it's a total this is brand new this isn't this isn't going on this is this is a brand new phenomenon this isn't going on anywhere so we're do we do loads of remixes now we're 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 like the go-to guys to do the remixes and, and were you remixing like pop songs as well is that were you guys doing the jungle remixes of yeah. the songs that might be yeah. in the charts. Okay. Yeah, okay. we were doing the jungle remixes. So we were doing we we I did about two Bjorg mixes. We did Inner City Life by Goldie. We did um oh you know, just loads of things. I can't I can't remember off the top of my head, but we just did loads of things. That caught the attention of Giles Peterson and Paul Martin from Talking Loud. Right, okay. At the same time uh, James Lavelle from Mo Wax asks us to do some remixes. So when you start when you start to do those remixes on that level, you're being groomed. Yeah, your people are seeing where be, what you how quickly you can deliver. Can you deliver on time? Can you deliver to the spec? Can you you know organize yourselves? Can you conduct yourself in a certain manner? People want to see if you can manage the next level. Yeah because it's business now. So we're getting to see this. So when we did the Fresh Four thing, there was a manager called Simon Goff who was looking after Robin Ray. Okay. He was managing Rebel MC. Shout so, out to Rebel. Yeah. yeah. So I knew Simon from then, from Smith & Mighty. We, 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 got, we got to a point now, and this is what I tell young artists people come up to me and goes yeah I want to get into the business should I get a manager da, 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 da. it's like no what do you want a manager for yeah. you get a manager when you can't manage your own business that's the last <laughs> thing you do is get a manager that's not the first thing you do yeah. people got the firing order all wrong this is what they teach them in college yeah. you know like again no disrespect to anyone who's doing these music colleges but those courses aren't based on the reality of what we did back in the it's day. It's all theory. It's all theory. By people, no disrespect again, who haven't been in the business. Yeah. So it's tough, I get it, you gotta learn, but there's a there's another way you can learn as well. So boom now. Simon, he's we meet Simon. So we we get to a point now, it's ridiculous. We can't manage it. We need help. And it's just, you know, we're getting phone calls from people literally nearly every day now asking to do remixes where we got where we came unstuck is now we're doing more remixes than our own stuff right okay we're not actually making the, our own music to keep on doing what we did to get there and this is the trap what I see a lot of young people in today when they when they're really really busy they come through the they come through the the, the ranks um, everyone says, when I, when I get there, I would have made it. No, no, no. When you get there, that's when the hard work starts. Right. Most people don't get that. And mm. you, you don't know that until you get there. Yeah. So this is the trap. And this is what the problem is with these colleges. Sorry to keep batting on about it. But that's, this is the cycle. This is how it works. Once you get there, you've got to figure out how to stay there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is where the grind, not the grind, that's not the right word, but this is where the work ethic comes in. This is where a lot of them don't have the work ethic. You know, I, I feel like um, I, I've seen that like a lot of artists, it's like they have a, they have a hit, not necessarily drum bass, any drum, they have yeah. a hit and then they start touring. 
So they're, they're performing, they're performing, but they're not maybe investing time back into creating new content. And then yeah. that, that's what happens. And then they get caught out because yeah. that song's gone cold. Yeah. And it's like, well, where's the next thing? Yeah. Well, I haven't been in the studio because I've been on the road for the last 12 months, right? And, and, and it is very alluring, yeah. right? Because if you were a, you know, a 20-year-old kid from the streets and the biggest paycheck you had was a dole check and all of a sudden someone's offering you 500 pounds, 1500 pounds, 2000 pounds for an hour's work. Yeah. Right? And maybe you can get three of those in one weekend, that's 6K. You can't turn that down. Yeah. Because if you turn that down, you remembering everyone who's, who were you come from, you, you feel like you're disrespecting them. Right? Yeah. And that's just hood logic. It's not right, but if you were born in those circumstances, it takes a long time to shake those chains off, those mental chains off. It's not a certain thing, it's not something that you just go in and you change. No, it takes a long time to get rid of that mentality. Yeah. So now money rules, cash rules everything around me. That's natural, that's a natural thing that happens. And now you're, in, you're, go, you're chasing cash, now you're in burnout. So, you, you, and if you've got the right people around you, they're just telling you to get paid because they want their percentages. Yeah. So it's a very deep level of the game and you need to have a certain type of aware. Luckily, I see a lot of these kids, they're starting to switch on and understand the game. Yeah. You know, it took us a couple of times. Touch wood, I'm fortunate and I'm grateful that I'm still in the game. And I played this summer, I was able to play at, at most of the top nine festivals again, which I'm super grateful for. And I understood the game this time. Yeah. You know, not like I didn't before, but it's hard work because you're learning on the job. Yeah. There's no, you, you, know, you can't, they can't teach you that in any of these colleges because this is the deep, 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 deep thing that you've got to experience yourself. Yeah. So you do, you learn it. You learn the hard way. You have to make the mistakes, but... You know, like our mum said, if you're if you're Kiant here, you must feel, must feel. right. Yeah. And when you feel that tax man, <laughs> <laughs> when you learn about them two, them three words, V A T, you understand. You need to go back to school and study this thing because now, this is what I'm, let's fast forward to what I was saying earlier. It's business. Yeah. It's this is about economics. This now, if we look around in the world and how money's exchanging, this is the most affluent time on planet Earth. There's never been a, a bigger money exchange on planet Earth. People now who are in the music business need to understand how to get assets, not just make beats. We need to know how to, how to, how to create assets, yeah. how, to, how to create our piece of land and build on top of that. So yeah. that's my, my thing now. It's like I'm understanding, you know, I took seven years out and I went back to school, I studied business, I studied creativity, I studied the mind, I studied psychology. I learned how we did what we did. Yeah. I understood it to the degree that I could explain it to you in simple street language. I could sit down with academics and I can explain it to them as well. I studied the, the back end out of it because I needed to know that if I get to here and things that ain't working, I need to understand how it does work. Yeah. I can't just drop off the map again. It's like, no, we need to know this. And we need to be able to teach each other how we, how, how, what this thing is as well. Yeah. So when we, when we rise, we don't just teach each other how to make beats anymore. 
or Scratch, we're teaching people how to make a business work. I'm teaching them how to build apps. We're teaching them how to make money, how to go to the next country and build a business. And how to, so that's what we're looking at. We're looking at now, okay, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing with our creativity? We're, 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 we have so much technology and opportunities, even easier to start businesses today. We, you know, it's the laptop lifestyle. Now it's the iPhone lifestyle. And yeah. we, can, we can do that now. So we need to understand the opportunities are there. You know, like you said earlier about these young kids who are on the street, they don't recognize the opportunity because there's, they, the peers around them aren't there. Yeah. So they need to see from people like ourselves to go back and that's why this is important because they need to hear it and they need to know that the gap between where they are and where they want to be isn't big as it used to be okay but they need someone to school them they need a little bit of education around it they need to see how to use these tools to do something and the good thing about it is if you're already doing certain activities right you already got the creative mind yeah it's not much of a leap right <laughs> strategically what I said purposely <laughs> yeah. but it's not much of a leap to use the same mind yeah. to go from there to there yeah, yeah, and yeah. we've heard Jay talk about it all the time yeah transferring them skills transferring right? those skills mm. right and that's what that's what we've been doing you know that's what we've been doing we've gone from turning things from a low economic level to a high economic level that's the definition of an entrepreneur yeah so we need to start looking for business opportunities out there where we can apply the creative mindset that we've been blessed with. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I, um, I, feel, I feel passionate about it. I mean, me and Gary, we spoke about this like a lot in the past. Um, and I've even talked about <clears throat> it on a show before. But yeah, I definitely think there's a big lack in educating our youngers on how to monetize what they do. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Content is king. Um, and like there's so many youngsters out there creating content be it through producing or through just making creating anything mm. but i don't think necessarily the mindset's there to know how to own and maximize do you know what i mean the content you create mm. um so i definitely think i i hear exactly what you're saying mm. and um i think people like yourselves like it needs leadership mm. and that's i think what what, what you're working on now mm. That's of course what you're demonstrating, as far as I can see. Do you know what I mean? Because they need, we need people like you who can say that to the youngsters, and then they can say, "Well, actually, mm. I can see what this man's achieved," and and then of course each one teach, isn't it? Exactly, so. and that is what it's about. It's not about preaching or showing um, or telling. It's about leading by example. Yeah. It's just about doing it and figuring it out. Because it's the same strategy as learning the decks. Yeah. I'm still doing the same thing. I'm still learning the decks. I'm still trying to have fresh shoelaces. I'm still trying to have a business that no one's thinking about. I'm still yeah. doing the exact. For me, I'm, it's, my thing hasn't changed since Wildstar. I'm still doing the same thing. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. Fresh. It's, yeah, it's the same model. I, I've been doing the same model from day dot, from, from, from the school to Eagle House to the squat to a full cycle same thing yeah we did it in ronnie's yard and then we went to eastern business center did the same thing there then we went to barton hill same thing exactly the same model except for we weren't dj uh we weren't um break dancing we were we put studios in there yeah. and then i went to london same thing did spent seven years in london learning the same thing started a little crew there exactly the same thing seven years came back exactly the same thing now we're doing the exact same thing i've got another room 
same thing, pitched on the wall, studio. It's like, my model isn't changed. Yeah. I know it works. So it's a simple model, simple thing. You just do what works. And you, it's the same. So for, so for me, it's right. Who do I know who's done this? Yeah. Go and talk to them. Yeah. Same thing. Go and talk to them. What, do, what don't I know? And who does know what I need to know? Go and talk to them. Email them. Cold call. I'm good at, I'm good at cold calls now. I don't care if you say no. Because yeah. there's somebody else now. The, the, the world's a big place. I know someone's going to help me. Yeah. So that's my attitude now. People will say, yeah, it's all right for you. You're crust. Yeah, but I wasn't always crust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And I've had the door shut in my face plenty of time. All the other day, someone said no. I'm like, okay, cool, great. Let's yeah. try someone else. So it's just, it's the hustle. You've got to be willing to, to, to people to say no. Yeah. But that's, that's not a big deal. That's just, you know what? When someone says no, your new idea is not bad. It just means try someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. about hustle, 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 hustle. Yeah. My latest thing I've learned this in the last two weeks. I'm an impatient person. <laughs> I've always the known last that. two weeks, Chris. I've, 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 I've always known that the part what I've learned in the last two weeks is just that the 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 evolution of letting go okay. of that and allowing what's going to happen next. That's been my big thing. The last sort of two weeks is like, oh, oh, I'm going to get. It's like, no, 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 okay, just chill and and let it happen. And it's like, you know. It's been my big epiphany, right? Things have happened much quicker yeah. just by just taking a step back and, and just putting my nut down and doing what I'm doing. Then the phone rings. Someone knocks on the door. I meet them on the street. It's like, you know what? I've kind of learned something now. But you have to be willing to humble yourself and go back to the position that you don't know anything. Yeah. You just got to admit to yourself, or no matter how far you've come, like you still don't know anything. And when you put yourself in that position, you got you know it's the learner's mind, the beginner's mind again. And for me, that's been liberating because it's helped me just get back to that wild star, that fourteen-year-old kid again, who's gonna have fun, who's gonna be creative, who doesn't know no, who doesn't know boundaries, who doesn't know it can't be done. Right, and that's what's important. I don't know it can't be done. I just haven't figured out how to do it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's my attitude. It's like, I don't know how to do it. Yeah. But that's, that can't stop me. Yeah. So that's what, you know, if there's a message that I want people to get from this, that would be it for me. Yo, hope you guys enjoyed part one to this special episode with DJ Crust. Tune in next week to hear the second part. Peace.